0: Well this morning we are getting ready to look at Isaiah chapter 12. And uh I was um I was studying earlier this week and I wasn't sure if we would do all of 12 in one day or if we would do all of tw- if we would take 12 half of it today and half of it next week because it was I was looking at it it's only 6 verses long. And I thought, well, Lord, this is, this is not going to cover even a full service. And then as I started studying it, oh, my word, this is so rich and so deep and so full that we're definitely going to be taking two weeks and possibly even a third week, depending on how the Lord works. Now, I want to read through these six verses. They're very short. And then after that, I want to start breaking them down. We're going to look this morning only at verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah chapter 12. But we're going to read all the way through Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid the Lord the Lord is my salvation and my song he has become my salvation and with you excuse me with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation in that day you will say give thanks to the Lord call on his name make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted sing to the Lord For he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Amen. Did you get any of that? No. No, I didn't. That's okay. We're going to be looking at each one verse by verse for the next couple of weeks. But the verse for, the, the, the thing that I want you to understand before we start looking at the content here is this chapter 12 is the tail end of this first section of the book of Isaiah. Chapter 5, chapter 6, all the way through until chapter 12 is the end of what is called the, the, uh, the messianic story, if you will. We're going to be moving into more prophecies against Babylon and Assyria. But for right now, this is the closing out of the Messianic story. And if you look at verse one, it says, in that day, you will say, if you look at verse four, it says, in that day, you will say, what day are they talking about the day of what? The day of the Lord, the day he comes, someone said, look over at chapter 11, verse 10 and 11. Chapter 11, verse 10 says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious Verse 11 says, in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, blah, 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 blah. And if you remember from last week, I was telling you that the Messiah, in the Jewish mindset, the Messiah won't come until the time when he brings a full peace. He's going to be calling all of the nation of Israel back to their homeland and there will be a time of peace up of upwards of a thousand years of rule where everything will be set back to right the way it was supposed to be at the beginning. And this last end of this section of the book in chapter 12, it says, verse one and verse four in that day, you will say. And so what Isaiah is telling the people is that these songs of praise, these utterances are words that the people of God are going to talk about. When the Messiah comes, when that time of of millennium starts, when that time of righting the wrong and making everything the way it was originally supposed to be comes about. These are going to be the words that are on the lips of the people. Now, this first prayer or, or section of praise is what we're going to look at this morning. And then verses four, five and six, we will look at next week verses 1 through 3 though it says first of all I will praise you O Lord the word in Hebrew for that's been translated into praise literally means I will lift my hands so it's an idea of I'm praising you I'm honoring you I'm I'm reaching up to you and the thing that God put in my mind was on chapter 11 verse 11 It says, in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand to reclaim. And Isaiah is saying, at that same time, the people of God who are looking to serve God and to love God, when God reaches his hand out to reclaim the remnant that is serving God, they will raise their hands to God. So it's imagine, it's like um, it's it's in my mind I I see that, that image, that picture from Michelangelo on the Sistine Chapel where God is in heaven and he's reaching to man and Adam is it, sitting there and he's reaching out to God and there's this coming together of the divine and the human at the time of the Messiah. And it to me that was just a powerful, powerful image. And it says after, it says, I will praise you, O Lord. Why will I praise you? I will praise you. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. Although you were angry with me, now your anger has turned away. How could or why would anger turn away from God towards his people? They They repented. And what does it say in Leviticus chapter 17? You don't have to turn there. I'll turn for you. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11. We read, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And then if you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So you see, what we're seeing here in this day when the Messiah comes, there's going to be this raising up of hands to God in praise. Why? Because the wrath of God is no more. Why? Because the blood has made atonement on behalf of all of humanity. Whose blood? We know it's the blood of Christ, the Messiah. They, at this point in Isaiah's world, didn't understand it. It was a future event. All they knew was that the word of God was saying, a time is going to come when you're going to be praising God so much. Why? Because he's no longer angry. He's no longer upset with you. Why? Because his heart has changed. How? Because an atonement took place. And as a result, there's comfort that comes to you. As a result, you can stand in the presence of the Almighty and be at rest. There is no longer going to be fear. There is no longer going to be Anxiety or 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 a, a terror. Literally, there is an awe, and and when you stand in the presence of Almighty God, there is a sense of fear. But it's not a fear that He's going to zap you. It's just a fear, a healthy respect, if you will, of the Almighty power of who God is. But at the same time, that same fear, that same awestruck feeling that you'll have as you stand in His presence. We also have the word of God that says, just like a weaned child with its mother is me in your lap. Oh, God, my Abba. See, there's this awesome, mighty, powerful God sitting on his throne and you come into his presence. And what happens? He literally looks and says, come here, child, climb up into my lap. Let me hug on you for a while. Because you see, the God of all gods has said, I am no longer angry. An atonement has taken place. And now we can have right relationship. Now there can be comfort for you. And verse 2 goes on in this song of praise to say, and how did it happen? God has become my salvation. Think about this. They didn't understand what they were saying when they said these words. They were simply words to them about Salvation. But we understand that the incarnate God, Christ, Jesus Himself, is our salvation. Surely God is my salvation. And here's the word I heard Elsie say it during our song service this morning and it blessed me. I will trust and not be afraid. I can come into relationship with God. He is my only hope. The only way I can escape the wrath and the terror of being in the wrong side of relationship with God because God himself provided the atonement. And as a result, I will trust and not be afraid. Now this next thing in my Bible, I have the New International Version. It says, The Lord... The Lord is my strength. Well, the Hebrew here says Yah, Yahweh. And scholars believe that what that is, is, it a, is, a, is a, um, a demonstrative statement of, oh my God, this is God we're talking about. I mean, not trying to be, not trying to be disrespectful, but it's this, this God, God. God. God is my strength. He is my song. He's become my salvation. But well, what is, I understand strength. God enables me and empowers me to live a life that he wants me. We talked about a little bit in our Sunday School class about how the Holy Spirit comes in and not only cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but empowers us to live the life that God wants us to live. That's what it means to be sanctified, or be holy. So I understand this idea of the Lord, the Lord being my strength. And I understand that he is my salvation. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that I can have right relationship with God. Therefore, my salvation comes only from God. But when says, the Lord, the Lord is my song. I don't get it. I, 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 it's hard. I mean, yeah, I sing songs of praise, but I don't think that's what he's talking about here. And yeah, it's, it makes me feel good when I sing, but I don't, I don't sense that either. He is my, exchange the word song with the word joy. The Lord. The Lord is my joy. As I walk about my day, regardless of what's going on, good, bad, or mediocre, this joy can just bubble up and well up from within me and literally brings about a song that comes from my heart, off of my lips, into the ears of the Almighty God, the one that I love with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. The Lord, the Lord is my joy. And with joy, verse 3, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's a nice expression. What in the world does it mean? With joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. The problem in explaining this is you have to have a background in the Bible. Now, some of you do and some of you don't. And so as a pastor, as the preacher, my job is to help all of us come to the same place at the end of the sermon. So I'm going to be saying some things now that some of you may just check out and go, yeah, I got that long time ago. Some of you, this may be brand new material. And I ask all of you, don't check out because there's some really powerful truth here. Okay? now let's go back a few minutes. What was I telling the children about the symbology that's in front of us now? There's this white, heavy, cold piece of the earth sitting on that table over there known as a rock. What did I say about that rock? You can drink from it. it. What story did I tell the kids? Moses. Moses and that water. Now... Because some of us are not familiar, and some of us maybe haven't read it in a long time, I want all of us to turn to Exodus chapter 17. It's only seven verses long. We're going to read through this whole section. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. But before we read this, I need to take you back two chapters. You don't have to turn there, but let me just give you an understanding of what's going on. Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Why did they get to escape from Egypt? Because God brought about 10 specific plagues on the Pharaoh and the king, the kingdom and the, uh, all of the people of Egypt while still protecting his people from that, those plagues. The end result was the the release of the prisoners, the Israelites were released from their prison and were no longer slaves, but allowed to leave Egypt. And then the Pharaoh changed his heart and started pursuing the, the Israelites through the desert. And it came to a point where the Israelites came up against the Red Sea and the king of the, the Pharaoh and his army was behind them. And so they were trapped. And there was nothing that could happen except for them to die. And they began freaking out. And all of a sudden, Moses said, watch the power of your God. And the Red Sea was parted. And it says the Israelite nation went over the ground as if it was dry ground. When they got to the other side, the Egyptians started after them and the entire Egyptian army was just drowned in the sea. And in Isaiah, I mean, Exodus chapter 15, what happens immediately after that event is they start singing and dancing. And joyfully proclaiming the work of God. God killed him. God killed him. He's rescued us. Yeah. And this is powerful, wonderful singing. And joyful, glorious things going on. Until we get into chapter 16. When they start saying, oh no. First at the end of 15. All of a sudden, reality hits. We're in the desert. we got to have some water. We finally find water. And the water we got is bitter. We can't drink it. It's full of arsenic. And they start fussing. And all of a sudden, the Lord shows Moses a log that can be thrown into the water, and the water becomes sweet, and now they can drink it. So God has proven his power by releasing them from Egypt. He has proven His care and power by providing a way through the Red Sea and drowning their enemy. Then when they come across poisonous water, God miraculously heals the water so that they can have what they need. Then in verse 16, all of a sudden they start going, we're hungry. We're hungry. We don't have anything to eat. I wish we could have stayed back in Egypt where there was pots of meat, and lots of bread, and all we're done is sitting here in the desert and we're hot. And we're miserable and we ain't nothing to eat. And Moses goes before God and says, What am I supposed to do about this, God? And God says, Don't worry about it, Moses. I got it. And he literally sends quail down in the evenings and provides bread through the form of manna in 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 the morning. And he even makes the manna appear six days out of the week. And on the seventh day, there is no manna. Why? Because that's the day of rest. So God provides a double portion on the sixth day and makes sure God makes sure that it doesn't spoil on the seventh day so that they can eat it on the seventh day. And God proves again, I got this, people. Just trust me. I got it. You can handle this. So now we come to Exodus 17. And it's hot again, and I'm thirsty, and I forgot to bring my, my water bottle. Well, I brought a water bottle, but it's empty, because that water there back at that thing, it didn't last very long. It was just regular water. What are you supposed to do? I'm dying here. I'm going to die of thirst, Moses. So what does Moses do? He goes before God. He says, what in the world am I supposed to do? And God says, I got this, Moses. I want you to make a spectacle of this. I want you to walk in front of everybody with that rod. That rod that brought about all those plagues. That rod that departed the Red Sea. And I want you to strike that rock and show them my power rests with you. And I and you can together bring about all of their needs. All you have to do is trust me, Moses, and help them to trust me too. And that's exactly what happens. But let's look at this story a little bit more in detail. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded, and they camped at Rephidim. And there there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and they said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? What do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses and they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah. And the word masa means testing. And the word Meribah means quarreling. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, listen to this, because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Can you imagine the arrogance? Is the Lord among us or not? I mean, come on. He's the one that's supposed to be taking care of us and we get here and there's no water. Now come on. This is ridiculous. Is the Lord among us or not? Moses? Can you imagine? Now, I know none of you, none of you have ever had an attitude like that. I know none of you have ever been even tempted to think, where's God in this? I mean, come on. But now let me take you Hundreds of years, thousands of years into the future, but still in our past. Turn to John chapter 7. The Gospel of John chapter 7. If you look at chapter 7 verse 2, it says, When the, feast of the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, and it goes on. So this chapter is talking about the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. Now, for those of you who don't know, and those of you taking notes, you can go find all about the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 through 44. You can read that later. We're not going to take time this morning. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 through 44. One more time, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 through 44. What it talks about is this special feast that happens in the harvest time. It is towards autumn. Now, Israel is still a desert place. Israel is still a place where they have to depend on God to bring about water. And this Jewish Feast of Tabernacles is a a special assembly where all of the nation of Israel literally moves out of their houses and moves into these Booths, these little tarps with poles, so that they can recall as a nation what it was like when they were trusting God as they walked through the desert. And part of this celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles that came about after Isaiah was written and before Christ came about, it was practiced for about 800 years, was during the Feast of Tabernacles, every single morning of the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the priests would go down to the Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. The Pool of Siloam was the pool where Jesus healed the guy that was blind by putting mud on his eyes and saying go. The pool of Jerusalem pool of Siloam is also where the waters were stirred, where the guy that had been paralyzed for 30 plus years. And he said, do you want to be healed? He says, nobody help me into the water. And Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. That's the pool that this is talking about. The pool of Siloam is fed by the the spring of Gihon, which is outside the wall of Jerusalem. The spring of Gihon is a source of flowing, living water. It's an artesian well. It's one that's flowing constantly. And Hezekiah, the king, had made a tunnel under the the city and brought the water from the spring of Gihon into the city and it dumps into the pool of Siloam and became a source of living water inside the city. And for those of you who are into any kind of symbology at all, the source of living water is the Holy. I mean, the symbology of the Holy of the living water is the Holy Spirit. So there's this idea of this Holy Spirit, this living water being in the city of God, a city of God, Jerusalem. So now at the Feast of Tabernacles in the time of Jesus, John, chapter seven, now moved to thirty seven. John, chapter seven, verse thirty seven. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, oh, before I get there. I forgot to complete the story. This Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem has significance to the Feast of Tabernacles. And what it is, is this. This seven-day feast, it became part of their tradition that every day during the seven-day seven feast, a priest from the temple would go down to the Pool of Siloam with a golden pitcher and would dip up a pitcher of water and would walk to the temple... And would pour out this pitcher of water on the side of the altar. It was on the western side of the altar. And this is where the idea of what is called a libation comes from. I had to look that word up because I heard it before, but I never really knew what it means. Libation is the pouring of a liquid out in worship and honor of a deity. So, there's this practice that has been 800 years in the making, from the time of Isaiah to the time of Jesus, where at the Feast of Tabernacles, every single day of the the seven-day feast, they dip up a thing of water out of the Pool of Siloam in a golden pitcher, they walk up to the altar, and they pour it out as an offering before God. Kind of fun church ritual, but what in the world does it mean? Oh, I forgot to tell you this part too. While the priest is dipping up the water, the people are there gathering. Literally, it said in my reading that people would stay up all night so that they didn't miss this. This was a time of incredible celebration and joy. This was a time, literally. If you read the history of the Feast of Tabernacles, there would be people. I read one one account where it said the priests would literally be doing somersaults and, and jump and not jumping. What's the what's the thing we had? Cat, Cartwheels as a form of worship. Oh my goodness, they were Pentecostal. Now the reality was, this was a time of great joy, great uprising, great celebration. And one of the greatest parts of this whole festival was the outpouring of the water from the of Siloam on the altar. And while that was going on, what were the people saying? What were the people saying? They were saying, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy you draw the water from the wells of salvation. With joy you draw the water from the wells of salvation. With joy you draw the water from the wells of salvation. And they follow the priest into the temple and they watch him pour it on the altar. What is the significance of all of this? Well, if you go back to the time of the exodus, what were the Israelites doing? Well, is the Lord among us or not? I mean, come on. This is the desert for heaven's sake. We need water and I am thirsty. Isn't there God out there that's going to give me some water? Thousands of years later, the nation of Israel established with the water, the living water that's constantly flowing into their city provided only by God and they take some of that water and they pour it out as an act of worship. And what is it saying? We trust you. You will always make sure we have water to drink. We don't have to hoard this bucket of water for fear that nothing else will come. There is a source and supply that always comes from You, O God. And as we pour this out, we shout with joy knowing that You are providing our salvation. You are providing our strength. You bring us joy. And we worship You, O God. You alone. You, O God. You alone. You, O God. We pour water from the joy i mean draw water from the wells of salvation oh god you're great you're glorious we love you god watch that water get poured out and all of a sudden from the back area of the temple we hear this itinerant preacher stand up and say hey is any one of you thirsty isaiah i mean john chapter 7 verse 37 if any one of you is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the scripture he has the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. The Messiah has come, and he's promising you a continual flow of the spirit in the presence of God, which will bring true joy. And strength. And salvation. So Isaiah chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 is fulfilled. In John chapter 7. Powerful, 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 powerful story. And let's look one last thing. What's on the screen? Just look at it up there. Verse 2. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. As I pour out this libation, a physical statement that I no longer have to be afraid of anything because my God is in control. As I look at a rock sitting on a table in my sanctuary, I can be reminded by that symbol that my God can make the impossible happen. He can bring about water from a rock. And He can do anything else that is necessary for my life. I just need to trust Him. What an incredible sense and source of joy. Praise His holy name.